0: Hello! You are listening to the Into Their Minds Podcast. At Into Their Minds, we are building an inclusive and neutral platform to have informed conversations and to share diverse perspectives on the pressing issues of the day. I hope this podcast can provide insights that you can discuss within your own circles and help inspire a more nuanced worldview. This is your host Gokul Prabhu and in this season, I am sitting down with a few research students to talk about their interests and experiences in scientific research. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Mr. Bahirathan, currently a PhD student under Professor Hema Somanathan at the Indian Institute of Science, Education and Research, Thirunandapuram. Hope you enjoy. So today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Bahirathan's uh, research interest and what led to him doing research on bats in India and um, everything else. Yeah. So, uh, Bhairatan, before we sort of go into the depth of what your research is currently, why don't we start from where well it all started? So, mm-hmm. how was your childhood like and uh, what were those inspirations that led to the current uh, your bat research?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, from childhood, uh, I was not actually into bats as such, mm-hmm. but I was interested in animals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but I, w- I was not sure how to set up a career in animal science or something. The only option which I had was try for a veterinary science. Mm-hmm. But after my schooling, I couldn't find much options of doing a veterinary science degree as such mm. because uh, there were not much of career perspectives based on my inquiries with other people. They were not uh, recommending a veterinary science doc, uh, career or anything. Mm. But uh, as a typical uh, South Indian thing, we will always be pushed to study engineering first and then uh, think yeah. about anything else. So I was also pushed into that thing. First, uh-huh. So first I did my uh, undergrad in engineering, uh-huh. so I did my B.Tech in biotechnology. After that there were some options for me to get into a job or uh, get some reasonable career uh, thing but I couldn't find it uh, appealing or it was not satisfying for me. Mm -hmm. So I still I was not uh, sure what to do next but uh, then I moved into something totally different which most people uh, told it was a crazy idea. So I did my MSc in genomics which is again totally different from uh, engineering and I just moved into core molecular biology and uh, that was a course where uh, there were only limited students allotted and it was in a university. That is when I was interested into bat research. So even though it was a genomics course, uh, I was the only person again doing something with wild animals there. So there, uh, I was introduced to this uh, one interesting department which was known to work with bats uh, for almost forty years. Then I realized uh, this was one interesting group of animals which is less studied, and I was in a place where that animal was being studied for a long time, but it was not that much uh, uh, famous for what uh, as such. So. In India bats uh, we have a reasonable number of uh, bat diversity but uh, very few groups were studying that when I started. So that was uh, the place which I studied, uh, do, did my masters was one of that. So then I again made another crazy sh- shift uh, during my dissertation mm-hmm. while all my other classmates uh, it was a genomics course and they were trying to explore different aspects in genomic sciences but I went into animal behavior again. Mm-hmm. That is when I started uh, getting interested into bats. Bat research. So, yeah.
0: uh, so when was it that you decided? Um, you need to sort of look into the other perspectives of doing battery research because um, I know Bhairatin personally and I know that his uh, research also focuses on temple architecture and uh, so many other things um, which are which all at the end of the day uh, come back to battery research. So yeah. why don't you talk about
1: uh, the other parts of your research yeah yeah so uh, as i was saying i was uh, not as such satisfied with what i was studying in the main so then i was also exploring other things and uh, those were uh, some things which i do it as hobbies but uh, later uh, t- later in the day it all came into this one thing so yeah. What I, my, my other interests are to uh, study temple architecture as you mentioned. So most of the South Indian architecture, the pillars and what are the carvings in this and what are the structural things. Those things I just go and learn out of interest. Then I also study literature. So mm-hmm. old literature, uh, especially in southern India, there is this famous literature pieces called Sangam literature, which are poems uh, dating more than two thousand years old. Mm-hmm. And there is reasonable amount of information on all many many natural aspects. Uh, of South India and uh, animal behavior was also one of that so when I the point where I linked everything was again during my dissertation mm-hmm. so as I said an- animals were uh, always my interest but I couldn't find the right way to make this my full time job so but when I started doing research in uh, bats mm-hmm. during my masters uh, then there was some scope I was exposed to different avenues where we could match my interests and to have a uh, full career mm-hmm. so Bats were uh, the choice because that place was studying bats. But uh, yeah, other animals were also into my thing. And if you take temple architecture and literature, there are so many references of different animals, their behavior, their ecology, and uh, it could it is like uh, it, although it is poetry, uh, the uh, pieces are uh, describing certain aspects of nature mm-hmm. of the olden days, and then they are linking that to some. Uh, uh, concepts which is the core for the poem for example love or war or anything like that but they certain an example of natural objects in their time and they compare that to an existing core uh, thing of the poem so that is when I started linking and then I've, since I was into bats I searched what are the references or where bats are portrayed and I found a reasonable number of uh, cases there and uh, interestingly mo- nothing was negative Mm-hmm. But uh, if you see now, even even now, when we say bats, uh, especially it's even after the pandemic, there is like negative impression. Yeah, so they are considered as uh, uh, blind, first of all, that is a big, uh, big myth. myth yeah. And uh, they are considered to be drinking blood, going into your hair, and most of these things were uh, all based on no evidence. I don't know how it uh-huh, went yeah, into yeah, say. If you uh, just do a simple Google search, this could uh, prove to be false mm-hmm. in, in literature also this is like again dating from 2000 years old they were portraying bats as uh, good things so bats were portrayed as uh, symbol of love cue love, yeah. uh, for time mm-hmm. so poems mention that uh, uh, the time of bats arriving has come but my uh, husband has not returned yet so it means like the no. wife is waiting for a husband who has gone for war and so they show bats as a cue for time, time so yeah. people knew that bats come in the night mm-hmm. or after evening mm-hmm. so these kind of references made me more interested again
0: mm. yeah uh, right now we just uh, touched on a point regarding the misconception that is around uh, bats in general mm-hmm. and specifically because of the recent pandemic situation where mm-hmm. Um, there are um, sources claiming that bat was the uh, source of coronavirus and because of which a lot of people sort of scared and also there are multiple cases in the recent past about how bats were brutally killed Mm. um, thinking that they might you know harm them Uh, but when we look at the scientific perspective we know how important bat research is or like bats in general are Mm. uh, uh, their contribution to you know science so yeah could you touch upon that exactly
1: so uh, before uh, I explain this in detail first thing which I want to make it clear is like uh, the concept of bats being hosts for viruses like an un, undeniable un, 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 un- scientific truth mm. so bats are host for viruses not today not yesterday they were doing that they are host for a large number of viruses mm. and they are reservoirs of tons of viruses and this, this has been known for a long time mm. but uh, only issue is like we should not consider this aspect of bats as a negative aspect so it is not just true for bats it's just that bats are more steady than other wild animals that is what we try to put it out in uh, public to make sure that this is not a bad thing and this is not an abnormal thing also so just bats have a special immune system which makes them keep viruses in check so they don't get infected by these viruses because of their immune system but uh, that is not uh, that does not mean that they are transferring viruses to all other uh, animals especially causing pandemics So Bats, uh, like any other wild animal, bats are reservoirs for many viruses. but it is just that we don't have enough uh, evidence on other wild animals. Mm -hmm. Because one thing is like bats are easy to handle and capture for uh, trying zoonotic studies. So they live in large numbers and it is easy to sample them. And that is why this literature showing there is bats are hosting viruses is high. But that doesn't mean that other animals are not hosting viruses. So it is like same for uh, just like just any other animal, they are also hosting viruses. But there is no reason to be scared about them. As I said, if you just go into villages and ask, they will be mentioning the existence of bats for years. And uh, even in India, there are so many cases people live coexist with bats in their houses. In, uh, there are people who are known to have, have bats in their roofs and in their huts and everything. And uh, if you take about this bigger bats which are flying foxes which we call because they have a fox-like face. So they are the largest in India so they are usually like having wingspan of 1 to 1.5 meters mm-hmm. so they live in large colonies and they live in center of cities and they, live, they are distributed across yeah. India those were the bats which were in focus during Nipah outbreak also mm-hmm. yeah. in Kerala and uh, so again as I said being a host for a virus doesn't mean that we should be shooing them out mm-hmm. what we should focus is that uh, we should find out ways in which these things are getting transmitted zoonotic transmission itself is a rare event mm. But since we are in the middle of a pandemic, we should not focus just only on what organisms are hosting these viruses, but more focus should be going into how it is coming to them. Mm -hmm. That is where we we should focus. But what is happening because of media and misconceptions, uh, we are just... uh, The one uh, interesting truth is bats are host for viruses. Mm -hmm. That is being portrayed in media more than necessary as I would feel. That makes people get into panic. I would not blame blame the public also. That is where uh, we should give awareness and we should make sure the science is being transmitted in the in the right way. So that is what. Since if a peop, if a common man sees uh, bats and uh, a, a terrific uh, picture of a bat and a virus, then he will obviously go and try to attack bats. Exactly. Okay. But that is not the case. So if we consider the mm-hmm. good which bats give to us, it's, it is uh, all all it is. The costs and benefits associated with is more. So bats are more beneficial than to be feared about. Mm-hmm. So there are so many events showing removal of bats causes drastic uh, destruction of the ecosystem. So they are pest controllers, they eat more than their body weight of insects in a night. So and they control mosquitoes, mm-hmm. they control uh, agricultural pests and uh, recently like two days back there was another interesting publication which showed uh, uh, fruit bats are uh, one of the longest uh, seed dispersers for fruits. So, uh, even birds don't disperse seeds for more than certain distances, but fruit bats are known to disperse mm. more than 100 kilometers. Mm. So, uh, if uh, most of the forests, forest ecosystems are maintained because of fruit bats. But these are the bats which were again destroyed last year. Mm-hmm. So, in cities like Bangalore, there were cases people were calling out destroying trees. And, exactly. mm-hmm. But uh, one thing which we should think, think is like, first of all, there is no reason to be feared about. Mm. Second, if you go and try to uh, attack these animals, These are again wildlife which are known to be uh, there for years. Mm -hmm. They don't know where uh, else to go. One thing they get extremely stressed out. Stressing out reduces their immune responses and a stressed animal is more prone to spill out viruses Mm -hmm. to humans. Mm -hmm. So it is like again a loop. So we getting panicked and attacking them makes them stressed. And again the risks of uh, transmitting uh, disease from them to any other uh, host animal is again getting increased. Mm -hmm. So the problem is like uh, misunderstanding and uh, We should make sure this whole thing should be set straight by a whole community of scientists Mm -hmm. not just uh, a virologist or an epidemiologist but an ecologist together we should put up an idea to public that yeah this is what is happening and we should not uh, uh, focus just on one aspect the whole uh, network is what which we should maintain. Even if you think about the pandemic, we don't know the transmission route yet mm-hmm. but it could be because of bushmeat consumption or wet market system anywhere the habitat destruction again causing bats to get stressed out so we, uh, no healthy wild animal will just come and transmit a mm-hmm. virus just like that that is not how zoonosis works mm-hmm. spillover itself is a rare event but if you go and stress these animals out more not just by destroying their roost but again destroying their habitats or uh, where they forage more anything which could stress these animals would cause uh, would backfire on us mm-hmm, no sure. point in going and destroying them and without understanding them fully mm-hmm.
0: yeah uh, so Bahi, that was an interesting explanation i would like to now know about your current research on bats mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, so what are you currently working on what have you uh, previously worked on, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what are their importance Mm -hmm. or applications to the general
1: audience. Yeah, so as I said when I first started this, there was this uh, group of people who were working with bats, I don't know what they were doing at all. I went inside that and then I understood there is a whole branch of interesting things which is left to be unexplored there. Mm-hmm. When you asked about research, I would just want to say which research actually made me jump into bats mm-hmm. to set it, set it as a career. I've been working with bats for more than 7 years now mm-hmm. and I intend to do it for the rest of my life because uh, this one thing made me really interested about mm-hmm. So there was this pair work on flying foxes, flying foxes are again these large fruit bats in 1993. so the st- study was just an observational study but mm. that is when i understood like just wildlife observations could be this interesting as a career mm-hmm. uh, there is this concept called allo maternal care it's about mm-hmm. with a bit, uh, technical term but mm-hmm. as the name says it's something about maternal okay. care yeah. so uh, bats uh, are mammals mm-hmm. flying mammals and they give birth to pups uh, once or twice a year depending upon the season and uh, these pups are uh, really costly if you think about mm-hmm. so uh, a death of a pup is really costly considering their reproductive abilities and stuff. Mm-hmm. So how these bats deliver their pups becomes interesting. Okay. So they are hanging upside down okay. and especially flying foxes they are hanging in open. Okay. So during delivery different bats deliver in different ways. Mm-hmm. So flying foxes they come upright mm-hmm. using their thumbs. So thumbs, hands are modified as wings so they come upright during excretion and uh, childbirth. So that is another misconception they think people think they excrete. While hanging upside yes. down, that is not true. So they come upright, and uh, they use uh, gravity to assist the delivery of the pup. Mm-hmm. But if you think about for an animal which has been hanging upside down, coming upright, exactly, uh, the odds of uh, the pup falling down is so high. Mm-hmm. So something should happen to make sure this is not usually happening. So that is when the study comes in, becomes important. Mm-hmm. What that person found out was there is this concept of allo-maternal care, which means experienced females who have already given birth comes to the female who is delivering Mm. and uh, she imitates what the delivering female should do. Mm. So these are like excellent uh, depictions with with observations, Mm. this is a published study. Mm. So the experienced female uh, imitates vaginal pushing, another female comes and tries to hold the pup so she licks and gets the pup out carefully Mm. and this all happens with experienced females and the female who is delivering for the first time. Mm. So this whole thing, this is again high, uh, this is something which is most common in mammalian societies like uh, for humans people do, like yeah, exactly. experienced females go and help the mm. young mother but uh, this is something which has been there in an animal which is flying around us but we don't even notice such good things like interesting things happening exactly. in there so that study made me interested. this concept is proved to be called as allo maternal care mm. like experienced females coming and assisting on a female to uh, get her pup out and this This is some. This, this was the point when I started to make sure I wanted to study bats in mm-hmm. uh, detail. So my research, as, I st- as you wanted to know, that uh, it started uh, during my masters. So India has around 128 species of bats, mm-hmm. which is um, in total bats comprise of uh, one fourth of the whole mammalian diversity. Mm-hmm. So there are more than 1,300 uh, mm-hmm. bat species. Okay. So this is one fourth of all mammals mm-hmm. in world. So each species has its own story to tell mm-hmm. and I started with one species, so this is a, uh, a bat called uh, the short-nosed fruit bat which is present in our campus also, occasionally they come to the fruiting trees here mm-hmm. So what is interesting in this species, is it is a, a tent making bat mm-hmm. Males go and make the tents, mm-hmm. they alter uh, tree foliage and make tents and recruit females So no two males can coexist inside one mm-hmm. tent, so it's mm-hmm. like a territory So this species is again well studied, what I want, I started was about this species when before emergence, they form something called as a grooming ball, which means one animal will groom another one and inside a tent there will be around 10 to 15 individuals. At a point of time all these individuals will become a ball, like they will hug each other and they will just lick and scratch and they will groom and they will form a ball, it's called as a grooming ball. Mm -hmm. So my research was like to know what was the reason for that. Mm-hmm. that is something which is not found in all species mm-hmm. very few species yeah. form this grooming ball so so i was interested to know if there is any olfactory importance because af- in this behavior so uh, because after this grooming all bats will go out before emergence this will happen and uh, after this mm-hmm. grooming ball thing all bats will be drenched in saliva they'll mm-hmm. be literally wet mm-hmm. it's like taking a bath with saliva mm-hmm. so i was interested to know if there is any olfactory importance mm-hmm. because males uh, construct tent and female will come and choose the tent by uh, different cues yes. so she will sniff the tent and she will look what, are, what is the tent architecture and stuff so I was curious if there is any olfactory importance if at all females could differentiate males uh, based on their saliva and tent markings by their olfactory importance that was my master's dissertation and uh, we did some captive experiments we grouped different gro- uh, males and females mm-hmm. we tested uh, females with the sense of uh, one male and on a different mm-hmm. male mm-hmm. and we found that uh, females were finding differences between different males, different males. Okay. so that was my master's dissertation so there was something happening with olfaction that was my dissertation so and follow-up studies were happening now mm-hmm. so my part was that we found that yeah f- females could uh, differentiate sense of males and mm-hmm. Known males, the males in which with whom they were uh, living for some time, and uh, novel males. Mm. Then I started my PhD. Mm. Again, that uh, I was not sure if I will start working, work, continue my work with bats. Mm. It was again an interesting experience. I was lucky enough to have my PhD also continue with that mm. same group of females. Here I was uh, pushed. Uh, uh, in, now now I was uh, focusing on a different uh, sensory system. Mm. Uh, earlier I was trying olfaction. Mm. Here it was vision. Mm. So as I said one main myth was like bats are blind but not, no bat is blind as of we you know as a, as long as it is not injured or having a uh, div- uh, problem with their eyes. So all bats are known to have good vision, mm-hmm. reasonable vision mm-hmm. but insect eating bats are known to have another sensory system, uh, uh, modality which is the echolocation. Mm-hmm. So they produce this ultrasonic clicks through which they understand their uh, ob- uh, surroundings. Mm-hmm fruit-eating bats on the other hand, they don't Mm echolocate except few species even those they don't laryngeally echolocate so it's not like a professional echolocation so fruit bats uh, we can be confidently saying that they don't echolocate there is no echolocation known in fruit bats which means they have reasonable vision and olfaction So, and these are the species which are travelling more than 100 kilometers. Mm -hmm. so all these uh, things they mostly rely on their visual and olfactory cues uh, unlike the insectivorous bats so my uh, phd is uh, exclusively on this sensory system mm-hmm. visual system so i study visual ecology in fruit bats for my phd so as i said uh, different species has, each species has its own story so in india there are uh, 128 species out of which around 14 are fruit bats mm-hmm. and uh, fruit bats have different uh, roosting system roosting is roost is a place where they spend their daytime. Okay. so as i said there is this one species which makes tents mm-hmm. And there are also species, uh, fruit-eating bat species which lives in caves Mm -hmm. and there are this open hanging flying foxes. So if you see there is a gradient of light levels in which they are exposed Mm -hmm. in the day. One is like exposed to broad daylight, others are in another extreme inside caves, dark and there is this intermediate roosting Mm -hmm. structures which tends. So I choose one species per roost type Mm -hmm. and I compare uh, their visual system. So how well, uh, is there any differences in their visual light based behavior? or in their visual system as such so i study their uh, one, one part is to study their visual acuity acuity is like how uh, an animal could resolve objects like it's like a power of an eye so we mm-hmm. go to optician and we see a board and say how small oh, we can yeah. see so that is basically a thing of distance not mostly size mm-hmm. so the smallest object is means it's like an object at a farther distance yeah. so that is called spatial resolution mm-hmm. So I study uh, that in these three species, if there is any differences. Mm-hmm. And these are again having different body sizes and they, ha- they have different ecology. Mm-hmm. They are known to forage at different heights even in the same tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flying foxes are known to forage at the topmost. Mm-hmm. The smaller uh, uh, short-nosed fruit bat are known to forage at uh, lower mm-hmm. heights and there are these differences mm-hmm. in behavior already known. But we don't know whether uh, visual system is different. So mm-hmm. that is one part I am comparing their acuity. Mm-hmm. Second one I compare their behavior itself uh, moon phase based on moon phase how they how these three species uh, showed activity mm-hmm. so one would expect the one which is uh, inside dark caves would prefer to fly out in darker lighting mm-hmm. rather than bright lights they mm-hmm. could uh, so my high hypothesis the dark roosting species might be less light tolerant than the other two species so i compared that also and we found yeah the ones in the caves prefer to fly out in relatively darker time points than the other two species then using radio colouring i studied the movement patterns of the flying fox also mm. those are the largest bats in india but less studied mm. because of many practical issues to capture them and study them it's like uh, it was a really a challenging species to work with so in next part i studied movement patterns like how long they go and what are the places they prefer mm-hmm. and is there any differences between uh, individuals of the same colony and those kind of things i studied since this is all again in the natural ecological sense mm-hmm. final part is to check what is the effect of anthropogenic lighting mm-hmm. so these are again animals which are fl- known to be uh, found in cities so all these species are cities dwelling species mm-hmm. so Anybody in city can see these species which I was talking about. So in uh, famous areas are like this dark roosting species is present in Golconda Fort in Hyderabad. Mm-hmm. In uh, Trivandrum also there are uh, many places in mostly human-habited places are where these species live. Mm-hmm. Flying foxes are known in many cities, mega cities like Delhi, Maharashtra, Chennai, everywhere these flying foxes are there. So. If these are visual, vision dominant species, I wanted to check if light pollution, uh, increasing anthropogenic lighting is having any effect, I tested that in one species, for second species I am yet to do that, so in one species yes we found a difference, so lighting is having an effect and uh, it is more crucial for fruit bats because they are more reliable on light dependent cues than echolocating species, so that is my research to be put it in a nutshell yeah once uh, first I started with olfaction Mm. second I studied vision Mm. Uh, if there is any differences in their acuity yes there is differences even though they are fruit birds there are differences in their ways in which their visual system works and they respond to light differently both natural and artificial lighting Mm. so each species uh, has its own way to respond to light and some species are more tolerant and some species are less tolerant Mm. so overall what this makes uh, put into context is like we humans uh, play a major role in the lives of all these animals mm-hmm. and uh, we are finding preliminary evidences of how we are affecting them but we are, there is a long way to go before knowing the whole story of how coexistence could be happening without affecting both mm. the species as mm. and wildlife Yeah. Mm.
0: So you mentioned about how currently there's a lot of trivial research that hasn't happened with respect to bats. Yeah. And considering they constitute almost one fourth of the whole mammal uh, population, mm-hmm. I think the amount of research that is happening right now is negligibly. Exactly. Also. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons might be because people who are aspiring to do research do not know the resources to take or like mm-hmm. the ways to approach mm-hmm. doing this research. So, what do you suggest a student who's uh, interested in the field of bat research? Mm-hmm. Where do they start? Mm-hmm. Uh, what sort of skills do they sort of need to,
1: um, yeah.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. so I'll just answer this just for uh, any ecological based research and then I'll come to that mm. research to be in mind, so as I said, uh, if you expect any skill set or something which we should know previously before coming into this field, I would say not much, if you have like this uh, undivided passion and if you want to do something in this without making compromises that is the main eligibility which you should do because uh, ecological research is not uh, a cakewalk like any other field of biology it is like having its own challenges you need to be facing different uh, issues in field works and during experiments it is not something like most people think it's like not an easy job to go into field and just hang out and enjoy it's like it's having its own challenges and the only thing which could keep you in that is your passion like you should be sure that This is your thing and you should not make any compromises before going into that. As I said, if you take my own career, I did not have any prerequisites to jump into this field. My uh, basics were all completely different. So I did different branches and uh, uh, I started learning after I started my research only. Learning can happen when you start doing it so there is nothing much you should have a prerequisite anything which I know about uh, ecological research was natural history shows mm-hmm. and some experience in zoos mm-hmm. I didn't know anything before coming here mm-hmm. by trial and error I learnt many things but uh, thing is like you should not make any compromises you, you should be aware that it is not going to be easy mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it, sometimes it will be completely horrible and you'll know, I, you will know you will be forced to yeah. quit many times but Perseverance is yeah so perseverance is main That is only prerequisite I would say. Mm -hmm. Learning can happen, techniques and mostly these techniques and things get outdated very easily. mm -hmm. So, the uh, techniques which I, uh, when I started with my research work has already been outdated now. Mm -hmm. So, things get updated soon. Technology is also uh, growing at a rapid rate now. So, main thing is like uh, to have perseverance and you should start observing nature. Mm-hmm. Then when it comes to bat research, yeah, people, main thing is like people think bats are bad. So there are so many things which we, one could do with bats. As you said, very few people have been working into that. thing is you can write to people if you are interested mm-hmm. who are working with bats. So main thing is like you should not get scared of these things. Mm-hmm. So these are like uh, like any other animal, like any other wildlife, these are also normal mm-hmm. animals which is easy to work with but you should have some certain amount of training by handling for handling bats on the you should get vaccine shots mm-hmm. and those are the things after you start your research you will be um, uh, introduced to mm-hmm. so handling bats is not again a normal thing mm-hmm. so if you don't uh, handle them correctly you will get nasty bites and mm-hmm. so that is something which you should be trained but other than that there is nothing much you should need as a prerequisite to study bats and bats are everywhere most of us will not even notice the existence of bats around us but they are there So in uh, electricity boards in our houses, Mm -hmm. small trees, tree holes, Mm -hmm. any unused places near your house, uh, small bats will be there. So the Mm -hmm. smallest is like around 4 grams of weight. These are the ones which we will find always in our uh, surroundings. Mm -hmm. Mainly if you are a city dweller, you can see them around street lights always. Mm -hmm. So these are species which uh, eat mosquitoes and keep pests under control. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are urban species only. So these are like present with humans for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't even notice them. So observing bats is not a hard thing at all. And there are some ultrasonic recorders which are available online nowadays. Mm-hmm. That is something which we could make kids get interested in bats, mm-hmm. which we are trying as a part of outreach program the mm-hmm. world. So you can see uh, bat calls, ultrasonics are something which we could not hear. Yeah, exactly. So what these detectors do is like they record yeah, so them and them. Uh, show them in ways we could see them. Mm-hmm. So there are applications in there, mobile applications. And we can make kids go and uh, catalog what bats are there around them. Mm-hmm. So that is a, one way to make uh, people interested in bats. For fruit bats, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. So fruit bats don't echolocate, but you can see them very easily. Flying mm-hmm. foxes are not that hard to mm-hmm. uh, uh, unnoticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they are biggest, bigger bats. Uh, They're the biggest in India. Mm-hmm. So as I said, wingspan of one point five meters, and they mm-hmm. live in large colonies, from thousand mm-hmm. to ten thousand plus. Okay, you can see large bats hanging in trees and uh, in main cities, mm-hmm. and uh, they are not that hard to notice. Mm-hmm. And uh, these animals bring wildlife to us. Mm-hmm. especially in an urban ecology perspective. Mm-hmm. In the daytime it is very easy to observe them, they will be there always, they don't fly away or anything. Mm-hmm. So we can make students to observe wildlife in urban cities using bats. So they are like excellent systems to show wildlife to which are present in our back, backyard, especially in cities. Mm-hmm. So bats are easy to work with and they are. once you start observing bats you will notice they are not that scary. We just get misconceptions or we get just fear about things which we don't understand. So once we start exposing yourself to these animals, you will not uh, have this old idea of bats are bad or anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you mm-hmm. want a research career, you can always write to people mm-hmm. and uh, look online for uh, many resources, which are mm-hmm. there are so many uh, bat research organizations which are putting out their own resources out. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it is always there in within reach only for a career as such. Main thing is for perseverance, as I said. Mm-hmm. You should have this thing inside you. Yeah.
0: Uh, so generally speaking, as a research student, me, including a lot of my friends, are confused as to what options do we have after doing our BSMS, mm. uh, you know, bachelor's or master's. Uh, just because of not knowing many options, we'll always en- end up doing PhDs. Mm. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of other fields which people are s- sort of figuring it out right now. Yeah. Uh, say, for instance, uh, science communication or yeah. uh, industry. and all. Maybe you can sort of share some resources mm. which you think master students.
1: Yeah, yeah. so uh, when you do science research is not the only option we should do but research is the it's one of the best options
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because it keeps you always occupied and uh, it gives you an avenue to learn unlearn and relearn. So that is something which I feel is the best part of research. Even if you think about it as a 9 to 5 job mm. a day will not be the same again. Mm. Every day you learn something there will be so many uh, things which we could learn unlearn relearn. Learning by mistakes, and that is how research works. Mm-hmm. So you not do the same thing uh, twice, mm-hmm. even if it works. There will be something. There will be an upgradation in research, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that is the only option. There are other options like science communication, as you said, mm-hmm. because that is also something which uh, which is very much lacking nowadays. Mm-hmm. So science communication is just uh, making the public aware of what uh, core research is happening in uh, the country or in the world assets, because most of the funding we get is from taxpayers and we are uh, always in a place to explain to taxpayer what we are doing. And um, it is an interesting avenue. So I am also uh, doing some part of science communication as a part-time science writer. So there are uh, different avenues where you could uh, take a research paper, dump it down without compromising the science. Uh, The problem is uh, public get exposure to science uh, only through media nowadays. Mm -hmm. There is a lag between uh, a scientist and the public, Mm -hmm. so that is when science communication becomes important.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So why people with uh, science background is important here is this. So, if a media person uh, wants to communicate science, Mm -hmm. he will try to dump it down to a level that uh, uh, the concept is going and reaching public, Mm -hmm. which is not wrong. Mm -hmm. That is how media works and that is how uh, the main uh, essence should be going there. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same time, if you read a research publication, it will be too technical Mm -hmm. and uh, science will be perfect, but sometimes it will not be that understandable for the common Mm -hmm. man. Uh, So, the thing which is common man is understanding, is lacking certain avenues of the technicality and uh, certain... Information which is which might be crucial. Mm-hmm. For example, for the bats and virus case. Mm-hmm. So people say bats having bats are having viruses, but mm-hmm. they miss out that they are not the only animals which are having viruses. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so those kind of things are lagging. Mm-hmm. That is when a science communicator asset becomes important. So the the job here is to balance both the ends. Mm-hmm. Only people with science backgrounds like with masters or PhD in science could be the ideal people to do that and that is a growing career nowadays. Mm-hmm. There are different courses and people are getting paid as freelance writers or by associating themselves with many science communication forums. So what we, should, what we are ideally doing is take a research paper, read it, and discuss with the scientists and then write an article which is not compromising with the science or mm-hmm. uh, it's not too dumbed down. Dumb. so it balances both and and, uh, we could do it in different languages also Mm -hmm. Uh, regional languages uh, science communication is very important for a country like India and that is popping up nowadays when uh, government is encouraging uh, these uh, avenues and uh, there is uh, enough scope for doing that Mm -hmm. so that is one uh, interesting avenue to focus on Uh, and if you take about ecology again uh, conservation is a big avenue Mm -hmm. so I could translate my knowledge of bats uh, in way which the public could be benefited about for instance the pest control things in uh, about bats uh, which could be used uh, to develop better fertilizers for agriculture and these things have been done in other countries mm-hmm. so there are these uh, bat farms uh, where people collect bat excreta and use them as fertilizers and all mm-hmm. those things could be done uh, for uh, Indian agricultural system also we are trying those things also so, so completely uh, using your research experience and uh, making the society be- a better place that is another avenue so the scope is like I would say limitless, if people say there is no not much scope, I would say uh, there is a limitless scope as long as you have a passion to, to uh, drive to, towards it. It's not like you can have a set plan for the next 50 years, which we should do obviously, but there are always other options also which we could make uh, use of our knowledge, not like only research is only option. So there are many avenues in which you could use your knowledge. Not, nothing we learn will go to waste by that sense. So. As I said, everything is like at the end, uh, do whatever makes you happy. Mm -hmm. So that is the only thing. So if research is going to make you happy, you can continue in that way. Mm -hmm. If you want to make uh, sense to public, you can go to science communication. Or if you just want to focus on uh, the ecosystem as such, you can go for conservation. Mm -hmm. So it is always a network. It's not Mm -hmm. like all isolated systems. Mm -hmm. Science is a whole network. Mm -hmm. So you could place yourself in any node where you want it.
0: So I have one last question for all... Uh, Master students or uh, many students like me at some point in our lives during our uh, masters or bachelors or during phds also we sort of lose hope at uh, mm. the, because of something not working out or because of getting too stressful so were you in that situation mm. and if so how did you cope up with that exactly uh, what do you want to say to students yeah, yeah.
1: so as I said that every step of my career shift mm. from engineering to genomics to this Everywhere I faced this and even after starting a PhD uh, in different places of my project, I faced these things. This is not something which only you or me face. Everybody faces Everybody. that and the only thing is like we should develop a community and say like uh, console each other and show that we are not alone, one thing. Second thing is like uh, uh, constant encouragement from peers. So, uh, I, I would like to acknowledge all my teachers who made me sit where I am now. So even though these were crazy ideas, there were at least one or two few people who encouraged me to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. There were so many people who said don't, but mm-hmm. there were a few people who encouraged me. So as you said about this hope thing, so one main advice which I learned was like if you do your hobby as a career, mm-hmm. you'll never get bored or you'll never lose hope. Mm-hmm. Because you are obviously you're not doing it for anything else. You are doing sure. it because you are liking it. Exactly. So, main thing t- happens where like, is what is the reason uh, What is the reason you are saying to yourself for choosing that thing. Be it a small research project or uh, be it a career itself. So if you are doing it for other reasons than because you like it, you will obviously face certain issues and you will be, uh, uh, try to push away from that. So if you are doing it for the right reasons, like if you are doing it for yourself without expecting anything, mm-hmm. you will not face much of problem but that will not be the case for most of the people so they'll not know what they like first of all and they'll try to learn based on experiences mm-hmm. that is also correct that is also not wrong that is when uh, influence from peers becomes important mm-hmm. so it's not like only you are facing this problem if you are having any problem you can go and just talk to people like uh, everybody uh, this is like an again an, uh, like a ladder mm-hmm. so a professor who must have climbed all the steps like you so a PhD student will be few, step, few steps below you and master students is okay. like, so it is like a ladder and there, is, there will be always people who will be like minded and the research is not a field that you cannot survive, uh, you can survive without having any passion. So everybody would have started with some level of passion, level of passion differs different uh, between people. So as long as you find a passionate person and talk to these people, they will not uh, give you options to quit. So you'll get uh, the right amount of advices at the right time uh, at an issue specific level or in a a broader level. So if you you say you are losing hope, it is not something only you or me face, everybody has faced it Mm -hmm. and uh, the right way to deal with that is to know why why you are doing that. If that is is hard to figure out, you can ask uh, people who are already travelled these things. So it is not like only you or me, so everybody has faced it and you'll you'll get one or at least you'll find one or two people around you who will be facing these issues. So ultimately, it depends upon what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing it for the right reason, uh, you'll find a way to
0: get out of that. Mm -hmm. Carrying your last point, uh, considering the same ladder which you explained from Mm -hmm. bachelor's to master's to PhD's to professors, at each point, you know, uh, even me, when I look back, there's always uh, something that we regret not doing or doing. Mm -hmm. There's always something... Uh, we wish we would have done so yeah. that we would be better at this point. Are there anything as such with respect to your uh, career or you know your journey that you would ask us, you know, your juniors to mm. sort of?
1: Yeah, yeah. On? So that was the only main thing which I kept constant across my career. So I should not regret what I am doing. It even mm. if I do a mistake. I would not regret it as long as I don't do it again. Mm -hmm. So if you are regretting something and if there is two things in front of you and if you know uh, this is going to be good but choosing this might make you regretting Mm -hmm. in the future, Mm -hmm. you should not choose that. Mm -hmm. So as long as it is like how negative it is or how bad this thing is for you, you should still do it. That's what I would say. Instead of the fancy incentives the other option gives you, Mm -hmm. it is always better to choose the one which you like. Mm -hmm. And as long as you go in this path, you will never feel regretting. Regret is nothing, uh, you will not feel guilty or anything. So, even if you fail miserably, you will have this, at the end of the day, you will have this uh, satisfaction that, at least I did what I like. So, that is something which we could, uh, uh, so if you are thinking about, if there are two options, and one will give you so many good things, but you are not liking it, and there is nothing, but you like it, I would choose the latter option. Because uh, at the end of the day, you will have a satisfaction that you did what uh, you failed to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the times, uh, uh, even though if it take more time, uh, the things which you like will always, uh, give you things which you will be happy about. Regret is not something which we could survey with uh, especially in uh, research. Mm-hmm. So, I have no regrets till now mm-hmm. and I hope I will not have anything in future yes. also. Yeah.
0: So, Vayaratan, that was a delight talking yeah. to you and uh, I am sure there was a lot of information that you have shared with us today uh, which is going to help us, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, look at bats in a different perspective mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of suggestions to youngsters like us uh, in the field of research. I'm sure it'll help a lot of Mm. people. Um, I thank you again for- Yeah, yeah.
1: so I'll just have one uh, final point. So if uh, there'll be, I don't know who, uh, how many people, what is the different audience will be Mm. listening to this. So final note is like, uh, all of them will be at different parts of their ladder. Mm. So uh, as I said, we should have this community uh, or this networking, not just to influence uh, people in a negative way, but also to motivate people. So if you are in a different point of a ladder mm-hmm. you should also make sure that you you see people who are in steps which are below your ladder. For a PhD student uh, it is always uh, some master students will not be open and go and ask mm-hmm. for help. So it is always better to go and uh, offer help openly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the response is not, not your problem Again. as long as you should make yourself available for people. So So that is how I am here. Mm-hmm. So people I didn't I was not I was always skeptical to go and ask for help but mm-hmm. people came and offered help and that is how I am here now so there are two kinds of people who faces problems and then if you go to a different level in the ladder they will think like since I face this problem everybody else should face this Mm -hmm. and there are other kinds of people like since I face this problem nobody else should face this. so I would uh, like everybody who are listening to this at any point uh, even a first year uh, bsms student is higher than a plus two student so they should go and speak to people who are still, still trying to figure out what is happening and uh, make themselves available and uh, that is how a community develops and things get better mm. a- eventually at the end and uh, that is how that's what the country also needs nowadays that true, that yeah
0: that was a wonderful wonderful point um, yeah. when you raised
1: um, so yeah thank you yeah. again yeah thank you for inviting me for this like this is a really good initiative and i appreciate this so i wish you all the best for your future endeavors